we are so grateful, God, for the opportunity to participate with you in your restorative kingdom work around the world, even, even though we're right here in the GTA doing your kingdom work here. We join with those and support those financially and prayerfully uh, who are doing your work around the world. So we're grateful. God, as we continue to launch more life groups in order to pursue this foster community part of our vision, would you fan into flame just kind of a passion in our hearts for receiving life from you together in community to sharing life and to bringing life to our neighborhoods? God, that we would be passionate about doing your kingdom work together in community. And God, most importantly this morning, we invite you to speak in and through your word. God, we believe that what we're about to open up and read and talk about is inspired by you. That you breathed these words and had, um, had people write them down so that we could read them and get to know you. God, even as, I'm reminded of a conversation Dave and I had earlier this week that, God, you, you, you haven't cloaked yourself from us. You haven't made yourself complicated or difficult to understand. But God, in sending your son Jesus, you made yourself so very accessible to us. And in the scripture, God, you made yourself so very accessible to us because you want to be known. So help us to know you as we read together this morning. In Christ's name, people of God said, Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but there is a part of me that music can tap into like nothing else can. Do you ever feel that way? Like you got that song that's in your car and you turn it up and there's just something about it that draws something out of you and taps into a part of you like nothing else can. And it's fascinating to me because just like a few simple chords and a melody can reach deep inside of our hearts and give voice to emotions and longings and desire and love and all sorts of stuff, again, like nothing else can. So by way of example, I was actually thinking about a couple of common human experiences this week that music can give voice to in a very unique way. They're up here on the screen. The first is triumph. Triumph. Everybody experiences some level of triumph or victory in their life. And, you know, you can try to put it into words, but... But sometimes music captures this thing that's in your heart, this triumph, this victory thing, like nothing else can. Any Star Wars fans in the house? You know the, you know the, uh, the theme at the end of Star Wars? Dun, 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 You know what I mean? Okay, you didn't even like that, did you? Okay, maybe you don't know what I mean. All right, let's do this one. Let's do regret. How about regret? This is a common human experience. Everybody has regret, right? Everybody has regret over something they said, something they did, something they didn't say, something they didn't do. And you can try to put that into words. You can try to draw a picture about it and talk about it. But then there's this scene in Les Mis. Have you seen Les Mis? When Fontaine sings what? I dreamed a dream of days gone by. And all of a sudden, everybody in the place is experiencing with this girl who's just playing a fictional character on platform, all experiencing regret. 
Because there's something about music that gives voice to those common human experiences like nothing else can. How about this one? How about memory? How about memory? How many of you, when you, there's a song that you can hear that makes you flash back to a point in time, you can close your eyes, and it's as if you're sitting right there again. You ever feel that way? How about, how about um, for some of you, is there a hymn that, that, that takes you back to a memorial service or a funeral for a friend like that? I've got a friend that uh, he can't sing Blessed Assurance without losing it emotionally because that song was played at his father's funeral. Uh, How Great Thou Art was played at my grandmother's funeral. Every time I hear that, I can picture myself there. It is well with my soul will be played at my dad's funeral. And once my dad goes to be with Jesus, every time I hear it as well, it will flash me back to that point in time because music taps into those memories. Is there a song that reminds you of your wedding? You flash back to your wedding and close your eyes and just like you're there again. At our wedding, um, we danced to, uh, Amy and I danced to Love Me Tender, not Elvis's version, nor is jo- nor Joan's version, very, a lot more beautiful and romantic than Love Me Tender, that's weird. Um, but after everyone left our wedding, actually our, our photographer suggested this, everyone left and we were going to do the recessional, and so they were all out on the patio waiting for us, and they're going to throw flowers and stuff. We danced to a song called Home by Josh Groban. And I can't hear that song without getting emotional, closing my eyes and and remembering exactly where I was. It just taps into that part of me. How many of you, uh, there's a song that reminds you of your childhood that taps into those memories? When I was a kid, um, my parents had one of those old wood paneled station wagons. And my dad would go to work really, really early in the morning. So my parents would get up and they'd get all ready for the day and they would let us sleep. And then they would wake us up, me and my brother and my sister, and they'd pile us in the back of this old wood-paneled station wagon. And my dad, every single morning, would do the exact same thing. And we were groggy and disoriented, and we were still in our PJs, strapped in the back of this thing, kind of conked out. And my dad would take an eight-track of American Pie by Don McLean. Do you know that tune? And I'm not talking about the three-and-a-half-minute radio version. I'm talking about the eight-minute B-side version of American I could still sing every word and every time I hear American Pie by Don McLean I remember that moment how many of you uh, there's songs that can tap into your memories from university you ever feel that way uh, you know, it could be something like uh, the Eagles could be something like the Rolling Stones could be something like Neil Young for young folks in the room it could be something like you used to call me on my cell phone <laughs> Ever since I left the city, you, you got a reputation for yourself now. Mm, that's good. That's good. Now, if, if, if there's a song, if there's a song that taps into those kind of memories from university, it might tap into both memory and regret, doesn't it sometimes? It's like, whoa, that's, that's kind of two birds with one stone there. That's interesting. How about this? How about anger? How about anger? You know, it's funny that music can tap into anger, and everybody experiences anger. Don't lie. You know you experience anger. It's okay. Everybody experiences anger. The Bible doesn't say don't be angry. But it says don't be controlled by your anger. And there's musical genres like gangster rap, metal, which I'm sure none of you listen to, of course, because you're church people. But they, that's why that stuff's popular, because that stuff, those musical genres tap into these Deep human experiences that are common to us all. No matter what, music seems to give voice 
to the deepest parts of who we are. Music gives voice to the deepest parts of who we are. In every civilization, for every generation, in every part of the world, no matter what language you grow up speaking, no matter what culture you come from, music is a critical piece of how culture is defined because when melody and harmony and instruments and poetry come together, they give voice to human experience like nothing else can. Music taps into the deepest parts of who we are. So it's fascinating to me when people argue that the Bible is irrelevant or antiquated because the longest book of the Bible is just a book of songs. Isn't that funny? You're like, oh, the Bible's irrelevant. Really? And I'm telling you that each of those 150 songs gives voice to something deep inside of you and me. And for God's people, long before Drake, long before Jimmy Buffett, long before Jesus even, God's people had songs that gave voice to the deepest parts of who they are, the deepest aspects of both personal and corporate human experience. And that book is called The Psalms. I watched a video online this week, a very fascinating video, and it was two friends, two very, very good friends, uh, talking about the book of Psalms. Those two friends were Bono, the lead singer of U2, and a man named Eugene Peterson. If you don't know who Eugene Peterson is, he's an 83-year-old Christian man. He's an absolute saint who has done extensive work in the areas of Bible translation, spiritual development, and discipleship. He is a brilliant man and a godly man. And it's very, very interesting to me because um, the, way that, the way that Eugene Peterson and Bono became friends was Bono was reading a bunch of Eugene Peterson's work, specifically his translation of the Bible, which was called The Message, and some of his devotional work, The Jesus Way, and some other things. And they just became so critical for Bono as he talks about his own uh, spiritual development. So he reached out to Eugene Peterson. He sent this video message, this video saying, Eugene Peterson, you know, has his Irish accent with his glasses, and I really want to meet with you, and you're amazing. Would you have some time for me? And Eugene Peterson, and I kid you not, did not know who Bono was. He, he, and he, he talks about on this video, he's 83 years old. He's like, you know, that's not really the circles I run in. Oh, really? Okay, great. So there's this interview with Eugene Peterson where a fuller theological uh, seminary professor is asking him, he says something like, Eugene, you, you may be the only man who ever denied or declined a meeting with Bono because he did. He's like, well, dear Mr. Bono, sir, I don't know who you are, so I don't have time to meet with you because I'm translating Isaiah. He was translating Isaiah at the time, and the Fuller uh, Theological Seminary professor said, I mean, Eugene, for crying out loud, it's Bono. And Eugene Peterson responded this way, for crying out loud, it's Isaiah, <laughs> which I think is funny. So eventually, Eugene Peterson accepted Bono's invitation to meet, and those guys have become really, really good friends. And Eugene Peterson really has no idea what Bono does for He's like been to a concert, and he's like, I think he's very good at songs. He's very good. I mean, you know, this guy's multiple platinum records or whatever, and here they are talking about uh, this, this book of psalms that they both really love so much. And both Eugene Peterson and Bono shared the same thing uh, as to why they love the book of psalms. And it kind of goes to this concept of what we're talking about this morning, that music can tap into the deepest parts of who we are. 
Eugene Peterson and Bono both said, we love the Psalms because they are so very raw and very real. They are so very honest. See, a lot of us read the Bible like it's kind of a bunch of spiritual platitudes and, you know, there's some nice little stories and some flowers and we don't really think about it. But if you read the Psalms, they are gnarly. They are real. They get right down to the heart of what it is to be a human. And it's interesting during the interview because Eugene Peterson makes this brilliant statement and I love it. And he's talking about the way we approach God, the way we talk to God. And he says, the Psalms, Psalms give voice to us approaching God in a very honest way. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says. It's up here on the screen. He says, we have to find a way to cuss, <laughs> which I think, is, well, I think is interesting. And then he says, but, but we've got to do it without cussing. Isn't that funny? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that when we approach God, we talk about our human experience, and our human experience is not always easy, is it? It's not always pretty. It's, it's not always smooth. And sometimes life might make you want to cuss. And for that reason, the Psalms aren't always pretty. The Psalms are 150 chapters of unedited, unbridled, raw human experience. Spiritual, emotional, physical, sexual, and relational They give voice to those things that we were talking about this morning, like regret, longing, love, beauty, anger, hope, memory, and triumph. The Psalms are a unique and beautiful expression of what it means to be truly human and what it means to interact with God, and they are very raw and very real. But I love Eugene Peterson's statement because uh, Eugene Peterson is a very G-rated guy. He, he keeps his language clean. And if you read the Psalms, what you'll find is very G-rated language, but gives voice to a very raw and very real human experience without cussing. So let's put it this way this morning. The Psalms give us a way to cuss without cussing. <laughs> I love this. It, the Psalms give us a way to cuss without cussing. The Psalms give voice to real human experience. It's not sugar-coated. It's not you know, denied the, the things that we walk through and live through. But the Psalms do so in such a reverent way. They give voice to raw human experience in a way that's appropriate before a holy God. You with me? The Psalms are both brutally honest and extremely reverent at the same time. They are raw and real and they are worshipful and humble. They're fantastic. And we're going to spend our summer studying that book. Before we get to Psalm 1, which we're going to talk about this morning, I wanted to bring before you one exhortation that I would love for you to kind of keep in your back pocket all summer as we study this book together. And it really goes to, again, what we've talked about a little bit this morning. Here's the exhortation. Let the Psalms give voice to the deepest parts of who you are. Let the Psalms give voice to the deepest parts of who you are. These 150 songs of God's people will tap into parts of you that you might not even know existed. And if you let these Psalms give voice to the deepest parts of who you are, let me be clear, it ain't going to be pretty. <laughs> because every part of the human experience isn't pretty. So don't try to sugarcoat it. It's not always nice and clean. Your life isn't always PG. 
But just as other genres of music have given voice to the deepest parts of who you are, these songs of God's people can tap into every aspect of your life. And they can give you language to talk to God about things that you never knew you could talk to God about. And in that process, you can draw nearer to him and become more like Jesus. So let the Psalms give voice to the deepest parts of who you are. You with me? Okay. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 1. If you are unfamiliar with kind of where things are located in your Bible, uh, Psalms is really easy to find. Open up to the middle. Right in the middle. Right smack dab in the middle, and you will find the Psalms. The Bible is 66 books, 66 individual things. They're epistles like letters, biographies of Jesus, Proverbs, history books, all kinds of stuff. The Psalms is just a collection of of songs. So that's where we're going to be this morning in Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's up here on the screen. The psalmist writes this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Love this. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's unpack what's going on here in Psalm 1. You may have noticed this, but this first psalm is really divided into two parts. Verses 1 through 3 is the first part, and verses 4 through 6 is the second part. So an individual in ancient Israel or a group of people would have gathered together, and they would have sung this song together. And that first part, verses 1 through 3, is about the way of the righteous. Did you see it? And then in verse 4, there's this transition, and the psalmist begins to talk about the way of the wicked. And so people would get together, and they would sing this song. The way of the righteous in 1 through 3, and the way of the wicked in verses 4 through 6. And the interesting part about some of the things that this psalm is affirming is that these affirmations don't always feel true. If you read this very closely, and you understand what the psalmist is saying... The affirmations that he's making here or, the, or the, uh, the, the convictions that are being expressed here don't always feel true. For example, uh, the psalmist uses the word blessed. That's the first word of this psalm. Uses the word blessed to describe the way of the righteous. And Twitter users, unfortunately, have warped this word blessed with so many hashtags Like, it's just absolutely silly. Like, I read a tweet this week that talked about copious drug use and used um, a lot of expletives, and it was hashtagged blessed. Then I read a tweet about a guy who just bought a summer home in the English countryside. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up, by the way. And he hashtagged that tweet blessed. And I'm going, well, I don't think that's what the psalmist is talking about. Nights of copious drug use in homes in the English countryside. 
That really isn't what the psalmist is talking about. And those Twitter users have part of the definition of that word blessed, right? The word blessed in the original language is, is a share, and it just means happy. And it's funny because we use this like, we use this word like it's church lingo, like, I just feel so blessed, and God bless you, God, God be blessed, bless us all, bless you, bless him, bless her, I'm just throwing out blessing, God is blessed and I'm blessed, you're blessed and there's blessing. And then when we, and when we, say, and we say things about people that are really rude, you ever do that, you say, God bless her, you know, she's not a very smart person, God bless her, you know. We just drop those things like it's church lingo. And the funny thing is that that's not what this word means. It's not supposed to be church language. Language It just means happy. In fact, when the psalmist starts, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That is an exclamation. Blessed. It could be translated, oh, how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And maybe... A night of copious drug use and expletives or a summer home in the English countryside might have made you happy or might have made those Twitter users happy. But the psalmist reminds us that true happiness, lasting happiness, real happiness is a happiness that comes from God. That's all blessing is. It's just a happiness that comes from God. Look at the way that the psalmist translate, or, uh, transitions and talks about the way of the wicked because we're going to talk about the contrast here between happiness that comes from God and happiness that comes from the world. Look at verse 4. psalmist says this, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, if you're a farmer, you would know what chaff is, but since we're not in an agrarian culture here and we don't all, all have farms, I want to talk a little bit about what chaff is to understand what the psalmist is saying here. When a farmer would gather their crops, especially in ancient Israel and in ancient Palestine and in the, in the ancient world, they would gather all of their crops together. They would gather their wheat or they would gather their corn or whatever at the end of the harvest and they would put it all together and they would take a, a pitchfork or a winnowing fork. You know those three-pronged forks? You ever seen those things? Big, like garden tool things the farmers use? And they would take that crop and throw it up in the air. And the interesting part was that which they wanted to keep, like the corn or the wheat, was really heavy. So it would just fall right back to the ground. They throw the stuff up in the air, fall right back to the ground. Throw it up in the air, fall right back to the ground. But the chaff, like the corn husks or the grass or the things that they didn't really want, had dried up and become brittle. And so when they threw their crop up in the air and the corn or the wheat, that's which they wanted to keep, that which was valuable, would drop to the ground, the chaff would get blown away and taken care of by the wind it just blew away. It was just so light. It was just temporary. It was gone. See, this is what the psalmist says about the happiness of the wicked. He says, perhaps they experience temporary happiness because of a drug high or a summer home or a new pair of shoes or, or more likes on their Twitter <laughs> or popular, popularity or power or fame or money or whatever. But that happiness will not last. It's like chaff that the wind blows away. So what kind of happiness will last? What does the psalmist say? What does God say about true happiness? Look up here, verses one through three. It says, blessed, or oh, how happy, 
is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. First of all, do we notice a regression here? So what the psalmist is saying, for the person who begins to listen to counsel from the wicked, who walks daily based on what the world tells you brings true, lasting, and real happiness, what happens? Well, that person begins to stand still. And then eventually he just has a seat. Understand that in Psalm 1, there's a warning here. Those who are moving towards righteousness, who are walking with God, who are rooting themselves in God, can get derailed, stalled out, and can end up sitting on their duff if they don't watch it. So the first thing that the psalmist tells us about true happiness or the pursuit of true happiness is that it has a negative aspect. The psalmist says, you want to experience true happiness? Not the happiness that just gets blown away like the chaff, but the stuff that lasts, the valuable happiness. There are some things that you need to avoid, namely standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, and walking in the counsel of the wicked. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in his, uh, his translation of Psalm 1. Listen to this. It's so good. He says, don't hang out at Sin Saloon. Don't slink along Dead End Road, and don't go to Smart Mouth College. <laughs> I love that. Who goes to saloons anymore? By the way, was it the Old West? But I think this is great anyway. It's great. Don't hang out at Sin Saloon. Don't slink along Dead End Road. And don't go to Smart Mouth College. The psalmist says, that's where true happiness starts. And then look, and then look what the psalmist says, because there's a transition here. There's a transition. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. This is how to be happy, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. In all that he does, he prospers. So the psalmist is talking about what it means to be truly happy, what it means to have eternal happiness, what it means to have real happiness. And he says, avoid these things, but pursue these things. Go after these things. This word, but, in the original language is not terribly complicated. Uh, it's just a conjunction. It's just kim. I mean, it's, in English, it's just three little letters, but it marks a huge transition in the passage from that which you should avoid, the don't, and that which you should pursue, the do. And in fact, the psalmist uses another agrarian reference when he says to pursue these things. He says, those who root themselves in God's word are like a tree that's planted by a stream of water that gets plenty of nourishment, and when the time is right, when the season comes, that tree will bear fruit every single time. You can bank on it. And when we avoid these things and we root ourselves firmly in the word of God, we will always bear fruit. And the psalmist goes so far as to say, and your leaf will not wither or fade, is what it says in the New International Version. That fruit will bring true, lasting, real, extraordinary happiness that fulfills your wildest expectations. Now, that doesn't always feel true, doesn't it? Pursuing righteousness, pursuing godliness, 
doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly. It doesn't always feel true, but the psalmist reminds us here. And the people of God would get together and sing as a reminder together that true happiness comes from rooting ourselves firmly in the word of God. Does anyone know what this flower is? Tell me. Peonies. Yeah, it's a peonies. Um, there's a couple of important things to know about peonies this morning. The first is that these are beautiful. The second is that they are my wife's favorite flower by a really, really, really long way. You could give my wife hundreds of roses or daffodils or hydrangea or iris or tulips and nothing would bring her joy, true, lasting happiness like one peonies would. So I'm sure that she's thrilled that I cut these from our front yard this morning. <laughs> my wife is a, is a quirky creature. We've been talking about this the last couple of days. Real weird. Uh, both, of, both of us. We were talking about this last night. It's like, you know, when you're married, you know, you look at each other and you're like, man, we are weird. I'm just glad that you and I are the only ones that see it, right? Um, and she's quirky because she has very sophisticated taste. I've never seen anybody quite like my wife because if you put like five options for like a shirt in front of her and you remove all of the price tags, five options for a shirt, which one you like the best? 10 out of 10, she always picked the most expensive one every time. Same thing goes for a car or furniture. Every time, always the most expensive one. Bar none, never fails. Now, that doesn't mean we purchase the most expensive one. It just means that my wife has very sophisticated taste. In fact, we were at a friend's house not too long ago, and he, he uh, was kind enough, generous enough to open up a very expensive bottle of wine. Uh, I mean, like kind of a once-in-a-lifetime type of situation. My, my, wife, my wife took a sip of this wine, and literally, I, I kid you not, and I quote, this is very drinkable. <laughs> It's a once-in-a-lifetime bottle of wine. It's extraordinary. It's supernatural. God himself invented this. And for you, it's very drinkable. You see, she has very sophisticated taste. And the same goes for flowers. These being her favorite flowers, she has very sophisticated taste. First, peonies aren't exactly the hardiest flower. I don't know if you knew that, but they need some extra TLC. They need some extra care in order to survive. You can't just be an amateur gardener and get peonies to grow. In fact, we've got a peonies plant on our, on our front yard, in our front yard that hasn't bloomed in years, and finally there's one flower there this year, and it's a different color than all the rest. I did not cut that one down this morning. Peonies require some extra TLC. Second, uh, peonies only bloom once a year. So when they bloom, if you miss it, it's gone. And you've got to wait another 10, 10 and a half, 11 months. You've got to get through winter again, winter again, winter again, right? Before the peonies come back. Here's what the psalmist is saying to us. The way of the righteous is like peonies. It requires a lot more time and attention and care than the way of the wicked. It requires a lot more TLC. It requires a lot more investment and more work. But when the time is right, 
When the season comes, the way of the righteous will bloom like the peonies. And it will bring you happiness and joy and contentment beyond your wildest dreams. And you can bank on it. The way of the wicked, not like that. The way the wicked dries up and the wind just takes care of it and it goes away and that happiness is fleeting. It won't stick around. The great news is when the way of the righteous blooms, those who plant themselves by streams of living water, who root themselves deeply in God's word. See, these peonies will die probably soon because I cut them. (laughs) But the fruit of those who work hard to root themselves in God's word, listen to what the psalmist says, your leaf will not wither. Isn't that good news? So be reminded today, church, be reminded of the investment and the care and the work that it takes. That labor is not in vain. Your obedience is not in vain. It will bear fruit. You can bank on it. Two final thoughts from Psalm 1, and then I'm going to read it one more time. We'll close in prayer. The the first is this. We started this morning uh, by talking about the ways in which music can give voice to the deepest parts of who we are. Remember? Music can give voice to the deepest parts of who we are. And each of us has this deep desire and longing for justice, don't we? Fairness. When, when we see something that's not fair, when we see something that's not right, we see something that's unjust, there's something in our hearts that just cries out, that's not fair. I was scrolling through my news feed this week on my iPhone, and, and this happened to me, just a couple of stories, and my heart just cried out, that's not fair. Uh, one was a story about a man who was incarcerated for 12 years in a federal penitentiary, and when they reviewed his case, they exonerated him and said he never committed that crime, 12 years of his life, and they set him free. Just a few articles down, there was an article about a young man who brutally raped a university student when she was unconscious, and got six months in jail for it. And my heart cried out what? That's not fair. You know what the psalmist says? I know. That's not fair. As we continue to study the psalms uh, this summer, what you'll see over and over is that same theme repeated Why do the wicked prosper? Why do good things happen to bad people? We cry out together, it's not fair. But Psalm 1 and all other 149 of them give voice to our desire for justice. They give voice to our desire for justice. And the psalmist enters into that pain, enters into that that angst and that anger and that this is not fair because the wicked are prospering and those who obey and do good are not. Good things are happening to bad people and bad things are happening to good people. And the psalmist enters in and gives voice to that desire for justice and reminds us that won't always happen. One day... Justice will prevail. One day, the wicked, like chaff, will just get blown away by a little gust of wind. And those 
who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, those people will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither or fade. And the psalmist enters in and says, one day, you can bank on it, justice will be done. The second thing that the Psalm 1 does is this, and I love this. Psalm 1 exhorts us to persevere. Psalm 1 exhorts us to persevere. The psalmist says, I know doing good gets hard. I, I know that doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God can feel like toil sometimes. It can be like labor sometimes. I'm even thinking about you guys and the work that you've been doing, the transition that you've gone through in the last couple years. It gets old being the one guy at work that won't cut corners, being the one mom that disciplines their kid every time to help them grow to be like Jesus, being the family that prays around a table, being the people that don't get the nicest car in the neighborhood and don't get the nicest vacation in the neighborhood because you give generously. That gets hard sometimes. And the psalmist enters in and says, persevere because it will yield fruit one day. It will bloom as you continue to walk in, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. You will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither or fade. The psalmist says, do not grow weary because every time you sow righteousness, you will reap blessing. It's great because the Apostle Paul uses the exact same agrarian metaphor in Galatians 6 verse 9. Look what he says. He says, let us not grow weary. In other words, let us persevere in doing good for in due season what we will reap if we do not give up. Happiness, blessing, goodness, complete joy from the Lord is there for those who persevere. And Psalm 1 exhorts us, reminds us, urges us to persevere. Every time you tell the truth, every time you give generously, every time you love sacrificially, every time you let God's word guide your behavior, every time you choose humility, every time you walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, you are sowing seeds of righteousness that in due time, when the time is right, when the season has reached, they will bloom like the peonies. And that bloom will be a happiness, an eternal, lasting, real, extraordinary, beyond your wildest dreams, happiness. So don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pursuing what is right. Psalm 1, one more time and we'll be done. Blessed, oh how happy, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
Worship team, if you guys would come back up as we pray together. God, we love you. We praise you. We are so grateful that your book is not a book of just kind of spiritual platitudes that don't mean anything in our real life, but your book, specifically this book of Psalms, taps into the deepest parts of who we are gives voice to our deep desire for justice. It gives voice sometimes to when we're weary and beaten down and tired of doing what is right and encourages us, exhorts us, reminds us to stay the course and to persevere and to know that our seeds of righteousness will bloom like the peonies, that we will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. God, it's on my heart today to pray for those who may be weary, who may be tired, who may shed a tear even this morning. Maybe for those who are too tired to even shed a tear. Would you bolster them? Would you support them? Would you breathe a fresh wind, fresh nourishment of your Holy Spirit? And that they would know today that your promise is sure that even as the people of God have been singing for thousands of years now, blessed, oh, how happy are those who continue to root themselves in you. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. Continue our worship this morning and kind of conclude. We're going to receive what's called a benevolent offering. This offering just goes completely to those in our congregation and in our community who are experiencing crisis. Uh, it doesn't go to turn on our lights or pay for ministry costs or anything. And we do this once a month just to give to those in our community that are in need. So we invite you to give generously out of a grateful and contented heart. Give as an act of worship but don't feel obligated in any way to do so. And we're going to sing as we do that. And then Kurt will invite us to stand as we close. Ushers, if you would come forward. Let's sing.